I was at Bayside a couple of years ago with my family. We had some family come in from Boston, which is where I'm from originally. And so they were there, want to check things out. So my dad was with us as well. And so we we're kind of walking around and a lot of us stayed together. My dad kind of went his own way doing his own thing. And so we were getting ready to leave. About a half hour had gone by and we said, well, where is this guy? Because we're going to get out of here. And so we couldn't find him. And so I was put in charge of finding him. And so I'm looking around. You know how it is over there. There's all these tents and you're kind of looking around. It's all these people. And so I'm trying to figure out where he is and, and all of that. And then finally, I see him out of the corner of my eye. And I turn and I say, hey, Baba, we're going this way. And I turned and it was a mirror. And it was like, it was me. And, and, I, and I, I was so moved by that, that I'm like turning into my dad. You know, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I cried a little. Uh, I mean, it was, it was really, really weird for me. And, uh, and, and the thing is, is that I remember I'm standing in front of that mirror because I walked up to it. and I, I just started talking to it. And I'm like, Bob, what happened to you? You were doing so well and you just fell apart. You know, I mean, what happened? And I think many of us have all, we've had that experience. And, and, and what's happened is, is that we've looked in the mirror and realized whether we like it or not, we're like turning into our parents. And, uh, and the thing is, is that that doesn't really take all that much effort. It just somehow kind of happens. Now, here's the thing that's very interesting is that spiritually speaking, it doesn't just happen. We'd like for it to be the case, but that's not the way that it works. If we actually want to begin to look like our natural parents, time has a way of doing that. If we want to begin to look like our heavenly father, that's something that now begins to take some work. It takes some time. It begins, takes God now working in our lives and changing us and molding us into his image. It's a multitude of factors that lead to our lives reflecting and looking like Jesus. But see, that's God's desire above all else. See, the question that I get probably most often as a pastor is this. What's, they say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? And, and honestly, it's, it's a very valid question. It's a very important question. And we struggle with that question because we get frustrated when we don't know, when we have a big decision to make. There's a fork in the road and we're not sure which one to take. And so we're, we're wondering, well, what is God's will for me? Now, the answer is really quite simple. And I want to share it with you. And I put this verse in your outline, and I think it's an important one to learn. It's, it's a simple verse in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, if you're not like, you know, real familiar with like Bible terms, you would think like your sanctification. What does that even mean? Now, sanctification is a, a Bible term, but here's what, it, here's what it means essentially. It's a word that refers to the process of God working in our lives to make us more like him. In fact, that word sanctification originates from the vessels that were used in the temple. And those vessels were actually set apart for the, for the purposes of being used in the temple and for no other purpose. So there were vessels for pouring oil and vessels for the sacrifices that were made. And those were sanctified. That simply means that they were set apart for the purposes of serving and worshiping God. And listen, that's God's will for you, that you would be separated, that you would be dedicated for the for serving him and his purposes. You see, that's why everything that comes into your life and in mine, the purpose of it is working us towards the goal of making you and I more like Jesus. Now, many of I'm going to read a verse in Romans chapter eight that many of us have heard. 
And the verse is this. And we know that God works everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who loved him and are the called according to his purpose for them. But verse 29 gives us the reason why. It says, for God knew his people in advance and chose them to become like his son. According to that verse, everything that happens in your life and in mine is causing us, is molding us and shaping us to become more like the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Here's what I mean. I was at the post office on Friday and you know what a delightful experience it is to be at the post office. And uh, there was, I'm not even joking around, there's 15 people in line waiting for, to, you know, be service here at the post office and one guy behind the counter working as slowly as humanly possible. I mean, if he was working any slower, he'd be working in reverse. I mean, it's just really slow. And so I'm waiting. And so I have my phone and I say, well, let me just respond to a bunch of emails that I hadn't gotten to while I'm here waiting in line. So I'm doing that. And right, two people behind me, there's this lady that is absolutely going berserk. She's coming unglued. And she's like cussing up a storm. She's just going buck wild. Every she's getting several phone calls in in uh, in in line. And every time she gets a phone call, she lets us and everyone in line know how upset that she is, and the person on the other line, and using several colorful metaphors to describe how she's feeling at that moment. And and um, and then so she's like cussing at the people in line. She's cussing at the guy, you know, the older gentleman behind the counter and all of that. Now, the best part is that this is my favorite part of the story is that I finally get in line, uh, you know, and um, because now this guy, apparently there was another worker, but he was on break, which is don't get me started. And then so the guy comes off break and then it was my turn next. So I go and, and see him. He takes care of my two packages and then I'm leaving. And I didn't notice that behind her, this lady that's going crazy is a police officer. So now there's a person uh, there's there's two people in front of her. Uh, I'm sorry. There's now one person in front of her and then there's a police officer behind her. Well, this lady has been so hostile that now the guy who came comes off break says, sir, uh, are, to the officer says, officer, are you on duty? And the officer says, well, yes, I am. He says, all right, why don't you go ahead and cut the line and come in front, in front. That you would, I, th- I thought this lady was like going to spontaneously combust that, that, that I mean, I, 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 seriously. And, um, and now here's the thing. And so I'm leaving. I just start laughing. I mean, there's nothing you can do at that moment, but laugh, especially when it's not you. And, um, now here's the thing. Here's one thing that we can be sure of is that God is trying to work in this woman's life. And what he's trying to work in her life is something called patience. And, and the thing is this. Um, and here, here's the thing about patience. You know what you have to do to be patient? You have to wait. And so she's not passing that test pretty well. So you know what's in store for her? More lines. Until she, like, gets it. And then that's why I have this theory that if I'm patient in line, God won't make me stand in them anymore. And so now if, if I, there's a line say, God, I've already learned this lesson. Please work on somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm all set as far as far as that goes. And, and here's the thing. But everything that's happening in our lives is creating these opportunities for God to work in us to transform us and make us more like the person of Jesus. And what we're going to see in the book of Revelation this morning is a picture of someone that is drawn so close to God, that is so serious about his relationship with God, that he looks like almost identical to Jesus. 
And it's a picture for us of what life could look like when we really start surrendering areas of our lives to the person and work of Jesus. And the the, the scene that we're going to see is the absolute perfect picture of what a transformed life looks like. So I want you to grab your Bibles and open to Revelation 10 because we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun. His feet were like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the sand, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Would you pause there and and give me your attention? This is so important. If we're going to live a transformed life, here's how I become more like Jesus. Here's how we become more like Jesus, is that I, I become more like Jesus through my relationship with God. Through my relationship with God. Um... The the things that are around us, our relationship and proximity to things affect us. Now, we may not believe that, but it's true. Our relationships affect us. The things that we surround ourselves with, the things we listen to, the things we watch, all of it affects us. Now, if you say, well, the things that I watch don't affect me. Next time you catch a Rocky film on TV, just watch it. How do you feel after? I know how you feel. You want to get into a fight. Why? Because you just get all pumped up. I saw the new, my wife and I went to the movies a couple weeks ago. We saw the new Star Trek movie that came out, which is excellent, by the way. And here's the thing. Uh, we went to dinner afterwards, and then I, I almost got into a fight with a seventh grader. I said, I was going to take him, too. I think I was pretty sure I could have taken him. And, uh, but I mean, th- he was like mouthing off to somebody. And I mean, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to go where no one has gone before. I'm going to have to like, you know, get serious. But that's just the way it is. You know, you watch a Rocky movie and you're like all pumped up. You know, you want to beat the odds. You go see Indiana Jones. You want to get on some kind of adventure. You watch like some romantic comedy. Like uh, we were watching TV the other night and Hitch was on. I love the movie Hitch. I tell people the movie Hitch changed my life. Um, like the Bible, then Hitch. You know, I mean, it's in that order. Um, but I mean, you just you want to be a little more romantic after you see a movie like that. And the thing is, is that our relationships with people, our proximity to things, what we allow into our minds, what we allow our eyes to take in, all of that has uh, an, an effect on us. And, and in fact, you ever notice this? Someone who's married for a long time, these people start to kind of look alike. It's the weirdest thing. I never thought that would be true. I had someone not that long ago walk up to my wife and I and ask us if we were brother and sister, which, by the way, is much more of a compliment for me than it is for her. And uh, it's just this, this really weird thing. And the reason is, is because when you've been married to someone for a long time, you've, it's not that you start looking alike. You start making like the same facial expressions. You start saying the same things. And all of that is kind of what causes people to start looking alike. Now, I want you to think for a moment as we kind of shift from there to, to, the, to Revelation to this angel. This angel looks so much like Jesus. In fact, he looks so much like Jesus that in the you know 20 or 30 commentaries that I own on the book of Revelation... Many of the theologians mistakenly think that this angel is Jesus and they think he is Jesus because, I mean, you got to look. I mean, now there's several reasons why he's not. But boy, does he really look like him? In fact, if we just kind of walk through this for a moment, it says he's clothed with a cloud in in your notes. I put Daniel chapter seven. It says "In, in my vision at night, I looked and there was before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
This angel has a rainbow around his head. And we remember from Revelation chapter 4 that there's a rainbow around the throne of God. His face is like the sun. His feet are like pillars of fire. That's right out of, the, of Revelation chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. His voice is like a lion, like Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What, what's the point? The point is, is that even though this isn't Jesus, and there's unfortunately no time for me to talk about this, if you go to youtube.com slash CF backstage, I'm, I'm going to give a whole thing on why it isn't, but I just tell you, he's, he's not, and I'll, I'll tell you why if you go to the website, it'll, it'll be on there. But the thing is that even though he's not Jesus, boy, he sure looks a lot like him. And that's the whole point, is that the people that we spend the most time with are the ones that we begin to take on their characteristics and we begin to look like. When, when my wife and I go to Boston to visit my family, and we usually go up there for Thanksgiving, um, I usually come back with like a little bit of like the Bostonian accent that I left behind when I moved to Florida. I used to have like the full-on Bostonian, you know, can't pronounce your R's accent. When I first moved here, I'm very thankful to say that God has completely healed me of that. Um, and I don't speak like that anymore. And uh, but when I'm there for a little while or if I'm if I like watch a lot of baseball uh, and like, you know, on uh, the New England channels, like I'll I'll tell care, you know, I'm like, oh, it's out in the car and I'll throw one out every once in a while, not even realizing why, because the influence of, of that kind of starts to creep in. And the same thing happens. If you want to look more like Jesus, if you want your life to be transformed into his image, here's the deal. You've got to spend time with him. In the book of Acts, here's what it says about Peter and John. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They realized that these men had been with Jesus. And I want to tell you something, that when you spend time with Jesus, if you, when you take a few minutes every day, I'm telling you, what, what I encourage you to do is just say, I'm just going to take 10 minutes to read the Bible. You say, I'm just going to read one chapter. I challenge people all the time. Just start in the book of Proverbs. And you just start reading Proverbs. One, there's 31 days in a month. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And you just start reading that. You know what's going to happen? It's going to begin to alter your decisions. Alter what you do. Alter what you say. I was having a conversation about a couple of years ago with a friend of mine that I hadn't spoken to in probably 10 years. Uh, since before I had become a Christian. And so he and I were talking and, and he stops me after a couple minutes and he says, Bob, can I just tell you something? You sound a lot smarter than when I for, than when the last time we spoke. And I said, so does that mean like before I became a Christian, I was an idiot? And he's like, well, all I'm saying is that you sound a lot smarter. And, and I'm thinking like, oh, that's just a really nice way to put it. And then I remember hanging up the phone and I'm thinking and I said, I just said to God, I'm like, God, thank you for saving me from being an idiot, too. Not only did you give me eternal life, you forgave me of my sins, but I used to be an idiot and now I'm less of one. I'm so thankful for that. And the thing is, is that that's what happens when we develop our relationship with God. We become more like him. We become more like him in our thoughts. We become more like him in our actions. We become more like him in our speech. We become more like him even in the way that we think. In fact, look at what it says it's in your notes in First Corinthians chapter two. He says, for the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual uh, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And here's he says, but we have the mind of Christ. 
We have the mind of Christ. That is, the more and more that I grow in my relationship with God, the more that we have his mind, his thoughts, his perspective on things. And that's what begins to change and transform our lives. He goes on in verse five. Here's what he says. He says, the angel who saw whom I saw standing in the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and all things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, uh, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, if you pause there, what's the second thing that we see? How do I become more like Jesus? One, through my relationship with God and two, through my obedience to God, through my obedience to God. Listen, here's the thing. Obedience simply is modeling our lives after what God has said and what God does. If you have kids, here's what you know, is that your kids mimic everything that you do. They mimic everything that you want them to do and the things that you don't want them to do. And it's because they don't really see any difference. They see the way you live, and that's just the model for them as to how they're supposed to live. And so uh, here's what will happen. Sometimes when I come home from the office, I'll still have a few things that I need to take care of. So I'll take my laptop out of my bag. And I'll sit on the couch and I'll play with Mia a little bit and, and talk to Carrie. But I'll just kind of sit on the couch and take care of some of the work that I need to. Well, last night, we're kind of getting winding things down for the evening. And my daughter, uh, my wife has her laptop sitting on the, on, on the couch. My daughter hops up onto the couch. And just because she's I don't know, just really bright, she flips the laptop over. She presses the button. It opens up. It, now she rests it on her lap and she just starts typing. I don't even, she doesn't even, you know, she doesn't know how to spell, much less type. So she types and I'm like, Mia, what are you doing? She says, Papi, mommy, uh, pa, uh, Mia is working. <laughs> oh, you're working, huh? Yes, Mia is working. And so she, this is her thing. And I'm thinking like, it's just, it's total imitation. She sees what her dad is doing and she says, well, that must be what I'm supposed to do as, as, I, as I get older. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Now, think about this. John hears what the seven thunders say. He's so moved by it. He says, oh, I got to write this down. He goes to write it down. And, and he's it's, he, it's God says to him, you can't write down what they said. And he's all right. So I don't. So he's totally obedient to what God has said. The angel shows up, he swears by him forever and ever, speaks the message that's exactly what he is supposed to say. And, and here's what the point is. The more that I obey Jesus, the more that I become like him. In, in the book of First Peter, uh, he, he says these words in First Peter chapter 1. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Now, every area in your life that you make obedient to God, you become more like him. Now, here's what I mean by that, as you becoming more obedient to God in, in, in that. Here, here's what I mean. You and your, if you say you're married, you and your spouse um, get into, uh, you know, a, dis, a disagreement. You get into a disagreement and the... the now, if you're married and you're a Christian, you say, well, we don't fight. We have, you know, intense fellowship. All right. So you're having like intense fellowship with your with your spouse, but you're disagreeing about something. Now, 
you know, you may not admit this, but here's what you know, that there's a point in every disagreement. There's a point in every disagreement when it's like you're at that stage where it's going to either get diffused or someone's going to say something that's going to really take it to the next level of like shouting and things are kind of going to get hostile. And so you're it's escalating. And you know that it's escalating and you know that it, and, and every person who's married knows, you know, how to push the other's buttons and, and all of that. And so here's what happens. What happens is you get to that moment and just before it's going to go over the top, you remember a passage. In fact, I just put it, I put it in your notes in Proverbs 10. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. By the way, if you've never memorized that verse, that's a good one to put on your dashboard or something. You know, um, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So here's what you do. Just before it's about to escalate to another level, here's what you say. Is it really worth it? I mean, is, is, do I really need to win this one? Because is it really going to change my life if, if I'm right and I'm victorious, but I end up, you know, hurting my relationship and, and, and I, you decide, you know what, it's not really. So instead of escalating the, the conflict, you decide to diffuse the conflict and you start holding your tongue simply because of what you read in that proverb. You know what you've done? What you've done is, is that you've now transformed an area of your life or you're in the process of transforming an area of your life to match it to become more like Jesus. As you match it to become more like Jesus, things get better than when they weren't. Here's scenario number two. Um, you've, you've got people, you know, everybody is working somewhere for a particular wage. Now, most people working for that particular wage are very upset about that wage, even though no one put a gun to their head that they should accept the job for that wage. Nonetheless, we're, you know, you work on the job for that wage. And so here's what happens. Most people say, well, I'm going to do the bare minimum of what I'm what I get, what I get paid to do. But see, there are some people who are really, really wise that they say, I'm not going to do the bare minimum. In fact, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to actually learn more about my jobs and learn new skills so I can do even more and become more valuable. By the way, in the economy in which we're living, people that have skills that go above and beyond are those who keep their jobs. Anyway, that's a story for another time. But here's the thing that takes place. What happens is, is that you say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and read the books. I'm going to attend the classes. I'm going to put in the extra effort. And you know what happens? Through, after a course of time, people begin to take notice. You know, so-and-so, they're always going above and beyond. They're always going the extra mile. Do you know that they took a class to get better in, in this particular area? That they're, they've learned so much about this, that, or the other? And you know what happens? Why did you do that? It's because you read this proverb in Proverbs 22. And here's what it says. It says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings and not ordinary men. That's what happens. That's what happens. You see, you take in an area of your life where everybody else is saying, I'm going to do the bare minimum. You said, you know, I'm not going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to actually ratchet up my skills and ratchet up what I do. And all you've done is made your life more obedient to God. And because you have, your life has begun to look more like Jesus. That's what happens in our relationship with God and our obedience to God. But look at what takes place here in verse eight. He goes on. And he says, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. 
So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, it was bitter to my stomach. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. If you pause there and give me your attention. Here's the here's the third thing. I become more like Jesus through applying biblical truths. We've already touched on it, but it's this is the key is through applying biblical truths. It's not just knowing the stuff. It's not just saying, oh, that and, and you know, when the words are many, sin is not lacking. But wise is he who holds his tongue? Oh, I know that proverb. But then people are still mouthing off, even though they know that proverb. The key is to know it and then put it into practice. You see, I just last week I got my driveway pressure cleaned. And as I uh, now the thing that was frustrating to me is that I got my driveway pressure cleaned about six months ago. And then they said, um, if you buy this sealer, it'll actually seal it and, and you won't have to keep doing it. So I bought the sealer. The thing is, I got busy. And so then six months go by. I still haven't actually sealed the driveway. Now I've got to pressure clean it again. Even though I've got the sealer. Now, here's the thing. You, I might say, but see, you don't understand. I have the sealer. It's in a nice brand new can in my garage. But see, it doesn't actually help me until I apply what it is that I have into the area that it needs to be applied. And listen, that's why having the paint in the can, the sealer in the can doesn't help us. In the same way, just knowing what God has said. It's good, but it doesn't totally help us unless we do what it is that God has said. Jesus would say it this way as he wraps up the greatest sermon ever given, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He would say it this way. He would say, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the storms, the, uh, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the, storm, the, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now, you know what's amazing to me about that passage that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Whether you hear the word and do it or hear the word and don't do it, the storms still come. The rain still comes. The problems still come. The storms still come. But the question is, how will I respond to it and what will my life look like after the storm? Is it going to fall with a crash? Because even though I knew it intellectually, I never put it into practice. Or will things change simply because I heard it and then put it into practice and I built a firm foundation for my life? That's What's so important, listen, the hallmark of your faith, the very mark of your faith more than anything else is what happens when we hear the word of God. Will we hear it and do it or just hear it and think that it's well, it's just interesting information. John is told to take the word, take the book and eat it. And he says this, he says, you're going to eat it and, and what's going to take place is it's going to seem sweet to you as you eat it. But then you're going to swallow when it hits your stomach. You're going to feel like it's bitter. Why? Because when you hear the word, when, when John gets the rest of the revelation that we're going to cover in the coming weeks, it's great. When we read as, as Christians that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to make everything that's wrong, right. 
that he's going to set up his kingdom and everything is going to be great and that we're all going to live happily ever after. Listen, that's a really sweet message. But you know what's a little bit sour about that? Is that there are people that we know, that we care about, that we love, who are living their lives in complete opposition to God. And that the Bible also teaches us a truth that there is a place reserved for those who have decided repeatedly to reject God in their lives. That my friends, hell, which the Bible talks about, is a real place. And people really do go there. Not because God wants them to be there, not because God sends people there, but people send themselves there because they decide that they're going to live a life in rejecting God. And listen, what is hell essentially? It's eternity separated from God. And I don't know of anything more horrible than having to spend one minute, much less an eternity, separated from God. You see, that's the sweet and sourness of the message. That it's, it is sweet to think that Jesus coming is going to make everything right. But at the same time, that if we are living in the times of the end, that there's coming a time when it is going to run out. That people are going to run out of time to be able to make a choice. And my friends, that's why this church exists. That's why the church exists. So that people have the opportunity. That's why we share the gospel every week in this church. To give people the opportunity to say, you know what? To make a decision to say, I know how I've been living. I know the way it's been going. And I can essentially turn to God. And as I turn to Him now, He can do a work in my life. He can forgive me. He can change me. He can restore me. And He can set my feet on a new path. He can forgive my past. He can establish me in the present and give me a hope in the future. You see, that's why... Us as believers applying biblical truths are so important is because people want to know that our lives have been changed. You see, we can talk a lot about the importance of people coming to know Jesus. But the question is, have our lives been transformed? Have our lives been changed? Because they're not going to believe us if our lives are no different. I used to run a college before I came and started this church. And one of the things that used to happen is there was a um, halfway house ministry that we used to work closely with and we used to allow the uh, guys that were part of that halfway house program to audit the bible college classes and i remember that i was teaching a class one time i think it was in the book of hebrews and um, i had a couple of the guys come in uh from the um from the halfway house i was i mean i was young i was like 26 27 years old at the time thought i knew everything which little did i know i didn't know anything but um, I was teaching, and after the class, a couple of the guys from the half, one of the guys from the halfway house in particular comes up to me and starts like correcting a couple of the little nuances that he thought were incorrect of what I had said about the passage that I was teaching. And I said, um, I said, so let me, so I, I said that wrong. Okay, if I said it wrong, then I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. And um, I said, now, so you know it. You know the stuff. Now, are you here? You're a student. Oh, well, no, I'm here in the halfway house. Oh, well, why is that? Well, you know, I'm, uh, you ever heard of crack? I, I tend to do it a lot. And I'm um, like, so, and, and you see, and you can kind of see where, where, where I'm going here, that it's like all kinds of knowledge, and yet it never really translated into application. And what, what it can do is this, and this is why the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the, and the key is, is that, Sometimes we can lean so much on the knowledge part that we say, well, I just need to know it. And now it doesn't really matter if it changes my life. No, it matters completely. 
It's not just the application. Well, it doesn't really matter if I know anything as long as I do good stuff. No, there needs to be the balance. And you'll see at the end of your notes this, uh, this little um, you know, equation that I, that I made out. And here's what it stands for. It stands for that information plus application equals transformation. That it's information plus application that equals transformation. James would say it this way. He would say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who, who intently looks at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed for what he does. You see, that's where the real change takes place. It's when I hear what the word says. It's like when I look in a mirror. I'm guessing because you guys look pretty good this morning. I'm going to go ahead and guess that all of you looked in a mirror. And I'm going to guess that based on the information that you received, you said, I need to do something about this. And so showers were taken. Soap and shampoo was employed. Razors were taken out and, and, and used and, and all of that. Makeup was applied. By the way, I'm talking to the girls there. Um, and, 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 and all of that. And, and so the whole thing is that you received information and it led to the application of that, which led to a transformation taking place. You see, that's where change begins. It's when I apply what it is that I hear from the word of God. And then I experience the transformed life that he offers. And see, the question then is, what if I haven't been living it? What if I haven't been living it? What if I've been hearing it? What if I haven't been hearing it? But what if I haven't seen any kind of change take place? What do I do now? Where do I go from here? What I do is you and I have to go to the communion table. We have to go to the place where John was told to eat the scroll. The Bible tells us to now eat the bread and drink the cup. That represents for us the bruised body and the shed blood of Jesus. You see, it's the place where we experience God's love, His forgiveness, His peace. It's the place where we learn the true meaning of what happens when you really love and you apply it. That it involves sacrifice. It involves the giving of yourself. It's what Jesus did. And listen, if you're here this morning and um, there's this passage in 1 Corinthians, and I, and I want to be real honest with you, and I think it's very important that I share this with you. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that says this. It says that if you take communion in an unworthy manner, that you're actually taking in condemnation upon yourself. Now, why is that important? Now, what does he mean by he says in an unworthy manner? He's essentially meaning that you don't give it the proper weight that it is. You see, when we partake in communion as Christians, this is a holy moment. This is a moment where we do business with God. Where if there's sin that needs to be confessed, we confess it. If there's a promise that needs to be made, we make it. If there's a change that needs to be made, we commit to it. All of that. And so, if you're here and you're not a Christian, may I encourage you in this? And you say, I have no intention of following Jesus. When the communion uh, elements go by, I would just encourage you to let it pass according to what that passage teaches. 
But if you're here this morning and you say, you know, maybe I'm not a Christian, maybe I don't, I'm not walking with God, but I'd want to, I'd like to. Then here's what you can do. You can just simply, as we pray in a moment, you can just call out to God. And you can say, God, I'm asking you to come into my life and I'm, I'm asking that you forgive me of all of my sins, of all that I've done wrong. Because I want to thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. You see, that's, that's where we now enter into a relationship with God. We experience the forgiveness of God. And now we're able to receive communion in a manner worthy of the weight which communion has. So let's pray together. And God, I want to thank you so much for the fact that your son died for us, that we might have life. And so now, Lord, as we partake in communion, I pray that we would give it the proper weight that it's due, that it represents the fact that your son gave his life for us. God, I pray, work in us. Work through us in this very moment that this might be a holy time when we really get right in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.